Hi, and welcome to this latest episode of Sepad Pod, the sectarianism proxy and desectarianization podcast based at Lancaster University. I'm Simon Mayburn, and today I'm joined by a good friend of mine, possibly the best dressed man in Middle Eastern politics, and someone who's written extensively about a broad range of, of issues pertaining to, to the contemporary Middle East. I'm really excited that Morten Valbjorn is, is joining us today. Morten is Associate Professor in the Department of Political Science at Aarhus University, and he's the author of of myriad, literally myriad articles on all aspects of of sectarian politics, identity politics, and and so much more. Morten, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Simon, and thanks for the very kind words. (laughs) You're very welcome. I I had to mention your your fashion sense, which has been picked up on by so (laughs) many people at uh, at events across the world who always comment on your your wonderful sense of style, and uh, it just had to be noted. Um, Thank you so much. I'm just inspired by you. Oh, it's it's the other way around, Morten, I assure you. Um, thank you for, for joining us. I, I'm really pleased that we were able to find time to do this. And, and when I was compiling a list of people to, to talk to, dating back to the start of this this period of SEPAD pods, your name was, was right at the top, Morten, as someone who's had a, a huge impact on the discipline and a huge impact on me from, from your own individual work to the SVAR project. So I want I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about about what got you interested in Middle East politics, please. Um, I would say it started during high school, uh, and actually through Germany, in the sense that I was at a um, language uh, class and um, exchange uh, uh, project in Germany uh, back in the late eighties. Okay. And there I stayed at a German-Iranian family, uh, and I learned and I got and uh, I learned uh, the the uh, kid in 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 the house campus. Yeah. And he told me that originally everything comes from Iran. Right. And 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 he he was really uh, proud as a person, proud not only of being German but also of coming from. Iran. He, he was very keen on telling me about Iran and uh, the Iranian history. So I thought I simply need to know more about this. Right. Later on, when I met my wife, we went to Syria, to Egypt, to Jordan, Lebanon, and so, and, and so on and so forth in the mid '90s. And then in the late '90s, uh, when I was uh, a student at uh, political science i then was a trainee at the uh, danish embassy in 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 damascus and and i stayed there for six months and uh, it was fascinating uh, living in a middle eastern country and uh, trying to understand some of the things i had read about but understanding them more from the inside yeah, I can imagine. What year were you living in Damascus and working at the the Danish embassy? 1998. Right. Okay. So, so an interesting time then. Uh, what What do you recall from that period? Uh, I think I think some of the things I, I I learned that I this experience about living in an authoritarian society. I have read much in my during my studies about 
authoritarianism and so on and so forth, but then trying to live in a country uh, where your basic assumption when you talk to people was that somebody might report back. And yeah. then you would also be very keen not refer conversation you had from other people uh, because you might put them into trouble. Sure. Um, but 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 in general, I thought I, I got a I, this kind of synergy between reading and and reading theories and so on and so forth, and then trying to be in 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 a country. Uh, I thought that was very uh, interesting for me and and a lesson as for this synergy uh, that I understood the theories better after ha- having traveled very much in the Middle East but also lived in in the Middle East yeah. but I also but I could also use the theories to understand what I actually saw when I went uh, when when I stayed in 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 in, in uh, Syria and I traveled to other places uh, in the Middle East so you mentioned uh, these theories Morton what what and and who are we talking about in particular as for as, as a theory but some of my uh, sources, classic sources of inspiration when it comes to the Middle East. One of them is the uh, late, as well, the, the the late Fred, 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 Frederick Halliday. Uh, I, I, I from early nineties I read his work with great an, 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 an enthusiasm, and he. Yeah. I was in particular very much inspired by his uh, ideas as for combining what he called. He, 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 historical particularism on the one hand, and then combine it with analytical universalism on the <laughs> other hand. Yeah. So this kind of bridge building uh, between the general political science on the one hand, and then Arab studies, Middle East studies on the other hand, uh, has been a source of inspiration for me for, uh, since then. And I think anyone who who takes a keen interest in your work will will certainly start to to see that influence, perhaps in in some of the titles of your of your work. In fact, in the in the ways you're trying to to bridge these two, and it's interesting you you flag up Halliday. A number of other guests we've had on. I'm I'm thinking specifically of Chris Phillips, who I know you've collaborated yeah. with. It's a of big course, fan yeah. of Halliday. Yeah, a big fan. So yeah, so 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 I think I think that Fred. That, that Fred Halliday represents a kind of figure who who traveled between different fields. He was uh, uh, contributing to uh, uh, Middle East studies, uh, policy, compared to politics, IR, sociology, political theory, and so 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 he he was a. I, I thought it was so fascinating that he he tried to. Uh, to draw on insights from different fields and combine them, and that has been a source of inspiration for me. And that also is this as a, from the very start. I uh, yeah, when I back in the early 90s, I started studying uh, policy uh, at Aarhus, but then at the same time, I also took a degree in Middle East studies. Uh, so so I tried to combine this this, this kind of uh, uh, fields uh, and 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 and. Uh, and as a and as a to, 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 to today, I, I am at a uh, policy uh, department, but I have as a pre- pre- previously also been at a Middle East Studies Center, and I have, have found it very ins- a source of inspiration. Living in borderlands, often it's <laughs> yeah, 
uh, dangerous, you can say, living in borderland as in terms of career funding and so on and so forth. But I also think that some of the most interesting things takes place in borderlands. Yeah, yeah, I, I would be inclined to agree with you uh, on the intellectual dimensions of of these borderlands. I wonder, can you just share some of the some of the reflections you have from being someone working on the Middle East in a in a political science department and someone who's deriving. Uh, influence and inspiration from from those other fields because there's a yeah. range of different challenges involved right indeed I would say that that, that it, it reflects in some in, in three overall research interests uh, during the years uh, one of the my uh, research interest and that was also, the topic of my PhD concerned the place of uh, cultural uh, cultural diversity in the study of international relations. Where uh, my point of departure was the the puzzle that one should expect that IR, uh, the discipline of IR, would be one of the places where the question of cultural cultural diversity had been discussed mostly. But yeah. that has not been the case. It's, it's quite recent. You have seen a cultural turn within IR, and there I then had. Uh, so my, my conclusion, my, my, my argument was that IR traditionally had been what I called uh, culture blind. It considered itself that culture didn't matter, but it was more so, I argued, that it was culture blind, both blind to the role of diversity out there in international relations, but also the discipline itself was not really much aware of, its, of, of how it uh, saw the world through a specific um, cultural perspective. Then we have the uh, cultural turn, which in which really begins in, 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 in the 90s. And there I then would say that we are replacing a culture-blind position by what I call a culture-blind-dead position instead. So we went from being blind to being blind-dead in, <laughs> in, in, in the sense that was a, a problematic emphasis on culture in a, yeah uh, in, in, in the wrong way, way. So there was a need... <clears throat> To, to steer a course between <clears throat> uh, uh, being blind and being blinded uh, by culture. And there I found that the nexus <coughs> between area studies on the one hand and then uh, political science, IR, on the other hand, uh, was a quite interesting hmm. area. Also based on my own experiences uh, when I... As a student and uh, later on when I have a, a attended conferences and so on and so forth, sometimes I get frustrated by being in a narrow pulsi context uh, because uh, there's not enough attention to uh, a knowledge about specificities uh, uh, about the area uh, people talk about. But then when I go to Middle East conferences, uh, Middle East studies and the like, sometimes I then experience that you end in the other extreme, that uh, there's uh, too much focus on the specific particular, uh, too less uh, uh, emphasis on theory, uh, comparison and, and the like. So, yeah. so there's a need for a kind of dialogue and exchange between knowledge from uh, the general disciplines such as Polsai on the one hand, and then the area studies, such as Middle East studies, on the other hand, and um, so, 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 so. For instance, during my fieldwork, uh, during my PhD, part of my fieldwork was actually to attend 
uh, 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 IR conferences, Middle East conferences to observe what was going on. And uh, it was also quite interesting to observe how you could present the same paper at a IR conference, at a Middle East conf- conference, being bashed both places, but for opposite reasons. Yeah, yeah. That's... So, yeah. And, and, and then these, these, these kind of uh, meta-reflections, I have always been interested in using the Middle East as a way to examine them. So it's, the Middle East has been my case, so to speak. Yeah. This, this uh, abstract reflections about uh, uh, cultural diversity, Aristotle's disciplines, and so on and so forth, they have often been, as a, the, the Middle East has often been a kind of theater for these kind of uh, abstract debates. Uh, and so um, part of my interest, I've had, part of my interest is in, is in the Middle East as such, but it's also an interesting field to examine more general issues uh, concerning uh, social science issues. It's fascinating to hear you say this because I, I'm now starting to get a much more much more nuanced understanding of, of the way in which you've moved around these different topics from democratization to the, the sectarian identity politics, um, geopolitics, and, and looking at it through that lens, that approach, makes so much sense and it's it's absolutely fascinating to hear you say that as someone particularly who's who's struggled with with some of these challenges so i wonder morton can you give any advice to 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 people like myself and others who are struggling to reconcile the the sort of the grand theories of of political science and the more fine-grained uh, aspects of area studies how do we reconcile that by talking to by talking to each other, uh, having dialogues, uh, but also reflecting on what is actually the aim of our dialogues. I did did a piece a couple of years ago about dialogues and pointing to how nobody is against dialogues, but in fact we can have quite different kinds of dialogues. Yeah. But I think a lot of stuff is going on, and the classic positions in the area studies controversy where. The argument would be that uh, the disciplines like policy, it is pure theory uh, and, 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 and too abstract, contrary to Aristotle's, which is just uh, 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 theory-resistant descriptions. That is not the case any, any longer. I think a lot of great, great work is uh, being produced, and I think in particular a lot of good uh, developments uh, have happened within Middle East studies, uh, uh, I think there's so much really great work, which which is really theoretically advanced, uh, being produced by uh, scholars who really knows the Middle East. Uh, so sometimes I would say the challenge is that uh, a generalist within the discipline should be a bit more aware about what is going on, for instance, within Middle East studies. Um, but 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 I. I think uh, I think your own department is a quite in- interesting place because there you combine uh, politics, religion uh, uh, within the same department. So so one strategy is also to think about institutional ways of uh, making dialogues. But yeah. I would also say, for instance, uh, a project like the one led by Mark Lins, uh, uh, the the uh, uh, has a project on uh, uh, Middle East political science is, is a very uh, important uh, project because it also emphasizes, tries to bring 
debates from the generalist political science in, into a dialogue with uh, Middle East scholars. Yeah, I would certainly echo echo that about about POMEPS and and they they've certainly done a, a wonderful job of, of getting together scholars and you've obviously done a, a great amount of work with them and I'll tweet out some links to some of your pieces. But but, but and, and uh, just and, and another piece is which is also important to consider as for your question is if one would go for being a hardcore interdisciplinary person without a disciplinary identity hmm. or if you would rather stick uh, rather keep a disciplinary identity and then get informed by what is going on elsewhere sure yeah uh, and my own experience is as I, I consider myself as first a political scientist and then a Middle East scholar right In, and I think um, and it's, it's I, I think that um it's easier that uh, that is important that you have some kind of disciplinary identity in order to also be aware of the kind of debates taking place, uh, for instance, within Polsai and know the language of the discipline in order to be heard by people from the disciplines. Yeah, and I think that again is reflected in the the type of publications that that you've got, which are. Are not predominantly grounded in in Middle East journals, but are spread some Middle East journals, but then also some of the the top international relations journals that are out there as well. I mean, one thing I just add before we move on is that one of the things I think that Svar did so very well was to bring in anthropologists and scholars of religion to to really push these debates beyond just interrogating political science and Middle East studies. To please. Yeah, you, you have a very good point there. And also, what the, the SWA project, which I believe we will get, get to later on, uh, the, the, the project about sectarian politics, we had a team of people from political science, religious studies, and anthropology. And we worked close, closely together for more than three years. And one of our experiences from this cooperation was that we did not become less political scientists, less and, and, and anthropologists or religious studies persons by being together, but we be, we'd be, we become we became more aware of the strengths and weaknesses of our own disciplines. Right. Uh, and I think we, we would become a more nuanced and actually better political scientist, anthropologist, religious studies person uh, by being uh, in, in a relationship, in, in, uh, in a dialogue with people from other disciplines. So interdisciplinarity does not have to weaken your disciplinary identity but can make you more self-aware hmm. of your uh, of, 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 of your disciplinary identity for instance in the SWAR project the political scientist for instance has a tendency to have a hard time uh, acknowledging that religions that that, re, that 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 actually ex- exist religious people out there actually <laughs> where yeah. religion actually matters sure yeah and and uh, often they are also quite interested in structures and so on and so forth all of this is is important but what I have learned by being in this close dialogue with uh, the the other people from the from the SWAT team is one that that trying to actually trying to understand how religion is not only something that is to be explained but religion can also actually 
contribute to explanations, uh, and it is important to take religion serious. Sure. Um, yeah. And the other thing is also to listen to people. As a true, the, the uh, Thomas, the 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 apologist in the project, was very much keen on that. He was interested in what sectarianism actually meant to people, not uh, uh, and and then and asking people and listening to people and uh, trying to understand. Uh, different people's perception, reality uh, of the role of sectarianism. Uh, I think that is also a very important contribution. Also, in view of uh, Max Weber's point about people uh, 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 act in the world according to the, the nature of reality, as the, uh, the, the, the world has to, to them. So it's, yeah. also, it's important to actually to uh, to listen to people and understand people and how they comprehend uh, uh, reality. I think that's a really important point that you make about people, about agency. And uh, I, I've got a new PhD student who previously studied in the States, and we were having a conversation about about his thesis, and uh, and it, it cropped up, and his uh, the, this discussion of agency, and it cropped up, and his remark was, yeah, we, we tend to forget that IR is about people, when we're studying it in a hardcore political science way. And I think that's, that's certainly something that, that SFAR does very well. Uh, we've, we've touched on it a few times already, Morton, and uh, it's, it's obviously it's a sister, pro, uh, sister project to SEPAD. It's had a big impact on me personally as a scholar and as someone who helped to, to cultivate the, the SEPAD project. But could you tell listeners who aren't familiar with SVAR just a little bit about what its, what its aims were, what it tried to do, and, and what its outputs are, please? The name SVAR stands for Sectarianism in the Wake of the Arab Revolts. And it took its departure uh, in a recognition that sectarianism uh, had become a significant factor in Middle East politics somehow. And then the, the aim of the project was to examine the causes, nature and consequences of the recent uh, sectarian search. So, so it was less about uh, questioning whether sectarianism did play a role or not, but rather, uh, as I said, to understand the causes, nature, and consequences of this recent sectarian search. And there we then put together people from political science, anthropology, re -re 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 religious studies together, and we divided then the project into uh, four uh, so-called work pa pa packages, or four overall questions. And the first of these questions concerned the uh, what uh, uh, as a what and how, what is Shia Sunni sectarianism actually, and how can it be studied? Uh, uh, um, and here, uh, for instance, we examined that uh, to what extent does it at all make sense talking about Shia Sunni sectarianism in the view of how sectarianism is actually a concept that emerges from a European Christian context, mm, yeah. and where uh, and it. The, the original concept emphasized very much uh, the, the church and uh, those groups who, who uh, were uh, who was who uh, were not part of, of the church and those uh, people uh, who were member of uh, the, the church and that kind of distinction does not really make sense in a uh, uh, Shia Sunni Muslim context and that led us to also examine what we called um, comparative sectarianism. To understand to what extent sectarianism is uh, uh, 
Shiasuni sectarianism the same as, uh, 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 for instance, the kind of sectarianism you uh, associate to uh, Catholicism, Protestantism, for instance, we also compare Shiasuni sectarianism in a Middle Eastern context, context, is it different from the kind of uh, Shiasuni sectarianism you find in a non-Middle Eastern uh, context? Uh, for instance, in a European context, in an Indian-Pakistani uh, context. We also examined uh, the way sectarianism is, is understood in a Lebanese context. Is it the same as in a Gulf context, for instance? One of my points as for the sectarianism debate is that it is far too... Lebanese-centric, uh, not not because Lebanon is, is not an, an interesting case for studying sectarianism, but Lebanon is in many ways quite distinct and special, and the kind of sectarianism you will find in Lebanon is, is very different from what you find in the Gulf, for instance. Sure. Then, so so an, another dimension to this uh, first work package, then concerned to what extent, to, to what extent is Sectarianism actually just another name for identity politics. Yeah. Uh, because that that there's, I think the, the and and that that is also what Fanah Haddad has pointed to in his Middle East Journal article. There's so much confusion as for what we're actually talking about when we, when we refer to sectarianism. Sometimes it's about Shia Sunni. Sometimes it's about a Coptic Muslim. Sometimes it's about uh, 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 Kurds and Shia Arabs, Sunni uh, 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 Arabs. Uh, so there's so much confusion, and there's also much confusion as for whether there's any analytical uh, 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 um, uh, uh, value in in having the sectarianism concept, concept uh, compared to just talking about identity politics. Uh, so 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 so. Those kind of, 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 of uh, questions uh, we, 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 we examined in this first work package where we also ended up making a distinction between different, I mean, make, making a typology of uh, different kinds of sectarianism where we talked about banal uh, sectarianism, uh, instrumental sectarianism, and then uh, doctrinal radical uh, sectarianism. And pointed to that part of the confusion as for, for instance, what is the role of religion in sectarianism is partly related to that people are referring to different kinds of sectarianism, where some kinds of sectarianism, their religion doesn't matter, actually, whereas in, for, for other kinds of sectarianism, it, it actually uh, does matter. Yeah. So it, that that was the kind of first kind of first uh, work package in uh, the first dimension we of what we looked at in the in the SWAR project. Then the second one was that we that 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 on the one hand we recognize that uh, sectarianism has become an issue uh, in Middle East Middle East uh, politics, but at at the same way. We also uh, was very much aware of, of how the shape and significance of sectarianism would would uh, uh, would vary both in uh, time and space. So the second uh, work package was about where and when. So there we uh, mapped to try to, to to map the significance of the the, the significance of uh, sectarianism uh, uh, in time and space. And there we also reflected on how do we actually observe sectarianism. 
Is it, for instance, should we use uh, large end polls uh, asking people if they worry about sectarianism or the like? Should we, in the polls, asking people uh, their, on, on their views on uh, uh, Iran and Saudi and so on, for instance, there you will find a pattern today uh, that uh, uh, in some places uh, 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 the Shia population would be more positive to Iran compared to the Sunni and uh, so on and so forth. So that was not the case in the old days, but that's now. Or instead of making a large end polls, should we do field work uh, uh, and interview people and talk to people and, and try to uh, 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 perceive the world from their perspective, this more anthropological strategy? Would, would, would that be a way of observing sectarianism? Or would it be better to look at how people speak, look at the rhetoric of groups and so on and so forth. To, to what extent do you find a sectarian, uh, anti-Shia, anti-Sunni, so on and so forth, uh, uh, rhetoric? Or should we rather look at behavior? How do people, uh, group, ally, and so on and so forth? Or should we look at how institutions, political in, 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 in institutions are built in the uh, countries? And, and, and what becomes clear here is that depending on what kind of, of strategy you are using, you risk either seeing too much or too little sectarianism, so, yeah, so to speak. Sure. Uh, and and, 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 and uh, you will also, as what, what, what we were also quite interested in was to look at sectarianism in unlikely places and, uh, and also see places where we, you would expect it, but you would not find it. Uh, so, for instance, we tried also to examine places like Egypt, like Jordan, mm. which are places where you have very, very few Shias. But actually, you have seen uh, quite a strong anti-Shia sentiments. Uh, uh, um, so so that, 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 that was quite uh, interesting and, and it does, in, in our view, also point to the role of the regional context. Uh, but then if you go to a place like Yemen, until quite recently, uh, 2012, 13 or the like, sectarianism was not really a big issue in Yemen. And, and Yemen would actually, if you look at the de 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 demography, be a place where you would expect to find uh, a lot of uh, uh, se 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 sectarianism. Uh, and all this uh, 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 then brought us to the to the third work package, which was about why. Uh, if when the well, well, the the first work package was about the uh, what, the second about the where and when, then the third was about the why. Yeah. And 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 here we our our point of departure was that if you read the last recent years literature on sectarianism. There you you will in most in many of these publications they are built on the same kind of structure in the sense that the first section will about will be about how the debate is made by primordialist and instrumentalist perspectives and we need to get beyond primordialism instrumentalism and now that article or book will then present the uh, third way which are going to save us. And and, 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 and and we we got a bit as we, we then tried to examine uh, these various articles uh, aiming at at explaining uh, um, sectarianism and calling for a, a, a way beyond uh, 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 primordialism and instrumentalism and there we uh, it, 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 it 
it became clear that this kind of debate between primordialism and instrumentalism was a kind of pseudo debate because it, it was very hard in the academic context to find a genuine primordialist. Sure, yeah. And instrumentalists, there were far fewer instrumentalists than you would expect. And the majority of people in the academic debate happened to consider themselves as representing the third way. Yeah. But at the same time, when you then took a look at the nature of these third ways, they would be quite different. So we uh, identified uh, three uh, all third-way strategies. One kind of third-way strategy was what we call the new savior. That is the kind of, of, of a claim that we should bring in a, some a, a new theorist who is going to save the a, a, a sectarianism debate. <laughs> it can yeah. be Foucault, it can be Bourdieu, it can be whoever. But 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 there, there are a long list of candidates who are supposedly be uh, able to uh, save our, our to save the study of sectarianism. Then there was another strategy which we called uh, baby and the bathwater, <laughs> saying that instead of rejecting flatly primordialism or instrumentalism, we should take the best from these two approaches and then combine them. Yeah. And 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 uh, I would say that often uh, Genev Abdul or Bali Nasser, they have been accused of being primordialist by their critics. But actually, if you read their work carefully, I would say they represent much more this kind of baby and the bathwater strategy, trying to combining primordialist and instrumentalist insights as a way of uh, uh, proposing a kind of third way. And then we had the last third-way strategy, which we called the Lego theorizing strategy, you know, <laughs> Lego bricks. Yeah. And there, the idea was that sectarianism is such a complex phenomena that in order to, 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 to grasp it, you need to pick or pick insights from a range of different uh, theoretical uh, 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 takes. Uh, uh, um, so, 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 so in order to, to really uh, to, to build a, a convincing explanation, uh, yeah, you, you, should, you should draw on, on a range of different sources. Ray Hinebush, uh, who was part of the SWAT team, I would say is a brilliant example of this uh, legal uh, theorizing strategy. So, 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 so the argument here was that instead of going into a debate as for well, as for as for about the need to get beyond primordialism, instrumentalism, which all of us will agree on, actually, what 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 there is a need of is to compare strength of strength strength of weaknesses as for these three uh, third way strategies. And I think this work package has given some of the best and most creative titles for articles and opinion pieces <laughs> that I've come across in a long time. Um, Beyond the Beyonds, for example, or Studying Price. Sectarianism <laughs> While Beating Dead Horses and Searching yeah. for Third Ways. It's yeah. wonderful. So, and, and, and then just to con conclude, the, as, as for the SWAR project, uh, the, while the third work package was about how to explain sectarianism, then the fourth uh, work uh, package was then was then about 
to what extent, to, to, what, what has been the impact of the sectarian search on Middle East politics? Mm. Where we, for instance, uh, as we, we looked at, at different expressions, different dimensions of Middle East politics, uh, uh, for instance, uh, state uh, formation, deformation, de, 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 de international politics and conflicts, but also regime formation. To what extent has the likelihood, the likelihood of some kind of democratization being impacted by this sectarian surge? And to what extent is democracy per se a solution to sectarianism? But another dimension has was also to examine the nature of authoritarianism. Has, has authoritarianism been impacted, uh, transformed by this sectarian surge? There's been claims that sectarianism has given rise to a more dark and more fierce form of authoritarianism compared to before. And there, uh, our, our conclusion uh, as for the last question about authoritarianism was that on the one hand, sectarianism, it's, it's, there's clear link between sectarianism and authoritarianism uh, in the sense that authoritarian regimes are playing the sectarian card and they're playing it in a variety of ways. Mm. At, but at the same time, they can play it in quite different ways. If we, for instance, look at how uh, uh, countries or regimes like the regime in Bahrain compared, compared to Kuwait, to which, in which way they have used the sectarian caste, it is profoundly different. And then the last point here would be that it, it, it is obvious that authoritarian regimes are playing the sectarian card, but if you then compare the way they are playing the sectarian card by how other authoritarian regimes are playing identity cards, like in in Egypt, like in Jordan, it is far less exceptional. It, it yeah. is quite similar to 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 to, to the, the way you are seeing identity cards being played by authoritarian regimes. And it's it's fascinating just hearing you reflect on this at a sort of at a meta level, having seen it evolve over the the past few years. It, it's it's absolutely fantastic. It's it's incredibly thought provoking, and and the output from this is 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 colossal. Uh, I would strongly urge people who who aren't aware as far to go and have a look at the website. I'll tweet out links, and just to look through the the publications, the engagement that that people involved with Svar have have done, and it's it's incredibly thorough. It's it's the go to resource for for discussion and academic work on on sectarianism and everything surrounding it. So I I, I commend you for for everything that you've done, and it, it's been fantastic to be involved. With, with, with you and your colleagues in, uh, granted, a very small way, but it's certainly been an inspirational way. Thanks for the kind words. No, not at all. Thank you for for everything that you've done. It's been it's been fascinating, Morton. We've we've taken up a huge amount of your time. This is probably running on for the longest Sepad pod in the history of Sepad pods. <laughs> so. Um, it, it's been it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've I've learned a great deal. I've got so much to think about. I'm going to share a number of of, of your your pieces online, and uh, I will urge everyone to to look at the Svar project and to keep a close eye out for uh, for what you're doing in the future. Is there anything you want to uh, give a little teaser for, perhaps? Uh, no, I think I'm just saying that it has been such a pleasure. 
uh, talking to to you, and uh, I have also really enjoyed following the the sister Sepat <laughs> pro, 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 project. I think there has been a fantastic synergy between the Sepat project and the Swa project. So it's well, been a great pleasure. Thank you, Morten. It's very kind of you, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us all today. So thank you so much, and as always, thank you everyone for listening. <laughs>